You've seen their TV shows. You've watched their webcasts. Now, the boys invite you to Poker in the Ears. Hello, my babies, and welcome to the Not Poker Award nominated Poker in the Ears. I thought we weren't going to address the elephant in That's the room. That's it. We're done with it. Okay, good. Move on. I am Uncle Daddy Joe Stapleton. He is my work wife, James Hardigan. Also not award nominated. Nope. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about this week. I toured with Norm MacDonald. I am currently at Bay 101. I'm about to go to Saatchi and we're... I am. We're going to Saatchi. Why is it just me? Come on. Uh, We're going to Saatchi and we're going to preview the first EPT of... 2019 we are but none of that is the big deal holy field for this week's show we got him brian koppelman co-writer of rounders co-creator of billions and all-around mensch is on the show today we'll be recapping billions season three and chatting about the premiere of season four that just happened a few days ago man we are pretty good on this show as far as guests go huh for, for not being nominated for any awards. I mean, come on. You said that would be the only mention, and that was mention Sorry. number two within the first 90 seconds of the show. Sorry, I just, I can't find our horn, James, because I want to toot it just a little bit today. Uh, so Brian Koppelman, very excited about that. I'm actually kind of nervous once again, whenever we got someone uh, legitimately mainstream famous on the show. As Superfan versus Stapes, we've got Sumrit from Toronto and guessed what the subject is. Go ahead, James. This will be your trivia question. Billions. We advertise for a Billions superfan. We have our Billions superfan. There are two things very different about this week's Superfan versus Stapes contest. Okay. The first is the prize on offer. It is a 320 euro EPT Monte Carlo satellite ticket. That is a direct satellite. It's not a satellite into a satellite. It's not a feeder. This satellite will award at least one package. The other thing, I'll explain later on. But we are going to begin this week's show with one of those things that you and I joke about, Joe, is completely inappropriate for a podcast, which is a live update midway through an MTT, midway through a live event. Because by the time... This podcast is published. By the time the first person hears it, it will be instantly out of date. And that is Bay 101, San Jose. You got your backing. You got your buy-in. You sat down. You got chips. How's it going? Okay, man. Look, I got to tell you. uh, So everyone's going to know what's happened, as you said, by the end of this. So I guess I'll kind of start at the end, which is now, but won't be the end when you hear this. But I made it through day one. I made it through day one with twice average chips. Boom. I made it through day one with a bounty. <gasps> How much are the bounties worth? The bounty's worth $2,000. Wow. So <clears throat> could just to clarify, does the bounty money go to your backers? Uh, it does, yes. Cool. Yeah, so everyone's got like, you know, a big chunk of their stake back already. Of course, the full buy-in was 5200 and I won 2 k back, but at least everyone's guaranteed to not lose the maximum. Um also, winning a bounty is very difficult if you're a bounty because they start with one bounty at every table. So I needed a bounty. Ba- I needed and there were uh, over 100 alternates, I think. Wow. So I needed uh, a lot to happen in order to be able to win a bounty. I needed a table to break. I needed a bounty to come to my table. I needed to have more chips than the bounty and I needed to knock the bounty out. Joe, I know that you complain <clears throat> endlessly about how bad you run in poker tournaments but if you are yeah. going to save up that run good it's for when you play a 5k dude, 
Dude, I ran so fucking hot yesterday, hotter than I've ever run in my entire life. In the first level yesterday, I flopped two sets. I flopped two flushes. I ran my stack up to about uh, 70K, like in the first three levels. From a starting stack of? Starting stack of 40. Okay, so nearly doubled it. Nearly double. And then what happened was I just uh, went kind of card dead and missed some things and ended up getting down to a stack of about 35K. And that was when they brought Kitty Quote to my table. And I was starting to get kind of frustrated. Now, Maria Ho has been coaching me through this whole thing. Every hand I've played, I've been sending every detail to Maria. And she's like, she's like, you've made no major mistakes, a little bit bet sizing here, there. Um, she's been very helpful. This is also really she, helpful that you've been making notes and writing down hand histories, not just yes. for the purposes of receiving in-game training from Maria Ho, but also after Sochi, after this whole thing has concluded, we probably need a proper post-match report and analysis with maybe a couple of Joe Staples and hand histories. Sure, I would love to do it. Uh, and I have all of that for once because I've been, you know, taking good notes this time. Uh, so Kitty sits down with about 28K. I have about 35,000 behind at this point. Blinds are uh, 6, 12, 12. So I'm starting to get pretty uncomfortable. And I have Ace-King suited under the gun. Ace-King of hearts. I decide that I'm going to go with this hand, but I don't want to just rip it in uh, for like 28 big blinds or whatever it is. So I, I make it 2,600. Again, big blinds, 1,200. Make it 2,600. Kitty is two to my left. Uh, she flats. And then a fella two to her left. We're playing like 10-handed, by the way. A fella two to her left uh, raises to about 6,500. And I'm pretty happy about this. Oh, by the way, all day at my table, I recognize Michael Tereniak has been at my table all day. Okay. So Former EPT champion. Yes, but there was another EPT champion that I didn't realize until I asked him his name. Steven Grenier? Uh, Grainer. Grainer. Steven Grainer. How can you forget Steven Grainer after the bit that you did in well, Prague? Steven Grainer has gone Grainer oh. in his head. And he was a very nice guy. We got along all day. And he's like, eventually, he was like, oh, by the way, I'm an EPT champion. I won in Prague. And I was like, how do you say that, Grena? And he was like, yep, that's me. My friends say that to me all the time now. By the way, he doesn't seem to be a huge fan of it. Although we did, like I said, get along very well. So anyway, uh, this guy makes it uh, about 6K. Action folds back around to me. And I've already decided I'm ripping it in. Yeah. Like I can't fold ace-king suited. So I rip it in. And after I do that, action's back on Kitty. And she calls, and Grainer looks at her and goes, nice trap, Kitty. And she says, thank you. She calls for about her 28K, and now action's back on the, the, the three-better. And he sits there and tanks for quite a while. He eventually makes a call with two tens. Okay, so now, you're racing against him, but are we talking about Kitty having kings or aces here? Kitty has aces. Yeah. Kitty has aces, and Maria had been teaching me all day today to not necessarily three-bet hands like tens and jacks and queens, uh, that these are hands you can actually flat pretty profitably with and not get yourself into sticky situations. And here we have this guy who's just got himself in a sticky situation. So now it's a three-way all-in. The other guy's got us both covered. Uh, there is a heart in the door. I have ace-king of hearts, heart in the door, heart in the turn, and Grainer's like, 
your heart's coming, my dude. And I was like, you know what? It is. I felt it. I was like, I'm going to hit the heart here. I'm going to hit this heart. This is what it's all. All my run bad for like the last three years is going to come come to a head here in this tournament and boom hard on the river knock out kitty quo double up through the guy with the tens and i go from a stack of 35k to like a stack of 105k and uh i managed to win a few more pots through the end of the night and i end the day with 155,000 chips and uh twice it's twice average cool well that's great uh, stuff joe look let's save the rest for when this story is over when you've won the Bay 101. See what I'm doing here, Joe? It's the power of positive thinking. I'm incepting you. that you are going to win. Um, and we'll do a proper post-match report. Um, there is so much to talk about in this week's podcast. I have to ask about Phoenix very quickly. You told us at the end of last week's podcast that you were going on the road with Norm MacDonald. I did see on Twitter over the weekend that those gigs seem to go down very well. I, I take it you're a happy man. I'm a very happy man. It was, I, it's a cliche, but it was a dream come true. I, in my opinion, Norm is one of the greatest stand-up comics who ever lived. Asked me to come on the road with him, and not only did he ask me, but the club prefers to not have Norm bring someone with him. The club wants to use one of their guys, so Norm paid out of pocket for my hotel, for my flight, for all my meals while I was there. So it just shows you how much he wanted me there. Uh, the morning of the first uh, show, he who was asked to do some morning radio shows. And he looked at me and he was like, you're coming with me and we're going on the air together. If they don't take you on the air, they're not getting me. So we did morning radio together. All the shows went very well. Uh, there were some, some ups and downs in the, in the final show. I know that we've got so much to get to today. So I'll just only talk about the final show. I'm about, so the way it works is I open the show for 15 minutes. Then I bring out the first comic. Then I do another 10 minutes. Then I bring out Norm. During the first 15 minutes of the final show on Saturday night, someone in the back of the room had a seizure. Oh, Jesus. And we had to call 911. We had to put the show on hold. Now, that person is fine. Good. Uh, no, no, just a, a, a standard seizure, if you will. But the but challenge was then a- is to get the ship back on course, right? It's like, how do you bring the room back up again? Correct. And I had never experienced, first of all, just pausing the show in general. I thought it was a heckle at first. So one of the back of the room yells, call 911. You don't necessarily want to just stop the show immediately based on that. So pause the show. Had, we're down for a few minutes. I went back out. And all I would say is I was successfully able to bring the room back up again to get everything going. And it was it almost in a way brought the room together. Uh, I was like, I just came out, like I said, guys, I feel like we've been through a lot together and everyone sort of uh, was on board and back with everything. So uh, the the entire weekend was great. I did get worn out, believe it or not. Um, you know, even though I was technically only on stage for about 50 minutes per night, um, it did take a lot out of me. You guys can hear it in my voice. Yeah, it was, I mean, uh, you're looking a little bit drawn. I have to say, I am slightly worried that I know that after San Jose, you've got to go on the road to New York and then you're flying out to Russia. Am I going to get half a Stapleton for four days? You're, you're going to get, I do not know. It depends how things go here in San Jose. I'll tell you what, you may get half a Stapleton, but if you do, it's going to be a, like a, a very rich Stapleton. <laughs> so I think the adrenaline might last to Russia. Um, 
Before we launch into billions, there are a few PokerStars PSAs. Uh, in case you missed it yesterday, Scoop 2019 is a thing. The dates have just been announced. This may have surprised some people. Scoop normally kicks off right around the start of May, normally as soon as Monte Carlo wraps. A little bit later this year, the 12th to the 27th of May. Those are the dates that were announced. The full schedule is going to follow soon. What is happening right here, right now, in case you missed this on the blog or on Twitter or on Facebook, is that prize pool madness is a thing. So this is a free roll that's been scheduled for the last day of the month. That's Sunday, the 31st of March at 4 p.m. Eastern. And the idea is that initially... This free roll has a 10K prize pool, but there's various things going on over the next two weeks that are designed to boost that prize pool. You might, for example, have seen some quiz questions on Twitter that if you get the question right for everyone who gets it right, they're boosting that prize pool. By the way, there are various deposit codes you need to use to get a ticket for this free roll. Um, and I don't know how big the prize pool is going to be, but I'm hoping that today we can make a contribution. Because when we get to the Superfan versus Stapes quiz later on, the Billions-themed Superfan versus Stapes quiz, I've come up with 12 questions. And regular listeners will know that six of those questions will be directed to the Superfan. Six of those questions will be directed to Joe Stapleton. And for every main question, bonus questions not included, that Joe gets right, $200 will be contributed to the prize pool madness free roll prize pool. So that means Wait, you're saying you're saying I can cost the company up to twelve hundred extra dollars. Correct. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> Usually, I like to do that by wrecking my hotel room, but uh, I guess I'll have to do it in the form of quiz questions this time. So, if you want to know more, head to the PokerStars blog. All the details are there, and look out for those deposit codes to get a ticket for that free roll on Sunday, the thirty-first of March. I've saved the best till last. Next week, Sochi's going to be a thing. The first European Poker Tour event of 2019. Just a very quick event preview, Joe. And the big thing to say here is that even though this is the third time we've had a live event in Sochi, this will be the first time that Joe and I have actually gone to Russia. The PokerStars Championship in 2017, the EPT last year, we actually hosted the live stream from London. In fact, Joe, I don't think you even worked on the production last year because you were off doing other stuff. Yes, I had a different TV show I was on last year. But yeah, the year before, you and I, we were in London. We were indeed. And this year, we are going to be on site. So we get to go to Sochi Casino for the first time, which means that I had to go through the not easy task of getting my visa. Joe, you had to do the same. At least I could go to the Russian Visa Center in London, the city I live in. Joe had to fly across the country. <laughs> I was in New York for 20 hours. It was uh, it was so ridiculous. I was expecting a little bit more of a like a grilling process when I got there, though. And really, they just wanted money. 
That was it. I had to give them like two hundred fifty dollars yeah. in cash, and then uh, they were like, "Where do you want us to send your passport when it's done?" Like, because I needed it overnighted, and so I got on my phone to like look up an address, like because I thought maybe it might be better to send it to someone's house where I knew they were going to be home. And she was like, "Can you please answer question?" And I was like, "I'm looking for the address." <laughs> Yeah, it was I, a very cold process. I think the really hard part of the process is filling out the online application form where they ask a bizarre number of questions and want a lot of detail about your relatives, your kids, your parents. But I think, to be fair, that is standard if you're applying for a business visa to the United States as well, because I've been through that process in the past. And once you've filled out the form and are actually there, the process is relatively straightforward. It's just a bit of a pain in the ass. But the funny part about my visa application, Joe, is that once I'd gone to the cash year once i paid my fee for my application received my receipt i also received my complimentary guide oh thank you very much my complimentary oh. guide to the 2018 world cup in russia <laughs> clearly they had what? some left over and they're still giving them away wow you know that I've, I've heard that the russians do enjoy a good freebie so maybe that's still a, a prized possession over uh, there so bear in mind that this is a five-day main event and we don't cover day 1a day 1b i think there's also a turbo 1c flight on uh, on day 1b we're covering days two through five so it's a four-day live stream so that is from tuesday the 26th to friday the 29th of march inclusive and bear in mind in europe the clocks have not changed yet so the time difference between sochi and central europe is two hours and that's three hours with London. So we're going to be on air at 12.30 p.m. local time. That's 10.30 a.m. in Central Europe, 9.30 a.m. in London. And heaven knows how early that is in North America, but you're going to have to be really dedicated to set your alarm to get up for that one. But yes, same start time every day, four consecutive days of Cards Up coverage. Not many team pros on site, Joe, but the great news is that some of the guys are going to be dialing in to be guest commentators to help us out. Finton Hand, Felix Schneiders, Chris Moneymaker, Igor Kurganov. So we're going to have some guest analysis along the way. Um, but one key difference between this and all of the other streams that we've done in the past and will be doing in 2019, no free rolls, no promotions, no competitions, normal service will resume in Monte Carlo. This is purely watching the poker and seeing another champion crowned on the European Poker Tour. Um it's also a long-ass trip, and I know I'm saying that, and I'm flying from London. You've got to come from the east coast of the U.S., but it's like nearly four hours to Moscow, then a really short window where I'm paranoid I'm going to miss my con- my connection, and then another three-hour flight or two and a half hours from Moscow to Sochi. So uh, a full-on day of travel ahead. You forget how big a country Russia is, mostly because you never go there. (laughs) Well, first time for everything, Joe. The visa is in my passport with the worst photo ever because the photo was taken when I was like at my my sickest, and I look terrible. Um, But it's there, so hopefully I will make it okay, and uh, we'll be on air from Tuesday of next week. Here's an attempt at a segue. There's a Russian character in season three of Billions. Do you like what I did there? You nailed it. And that Russian character is played by John Malkovich. And this is one of my two favorite additions to season three. We talked last week, Joe, when we did our deep dive into season two of Billions, how 
new characters like Taylor and Larry Boyd are what elevate it and kind of almost raise it the raise the bar a little bit on season one. So here we've got two great new additions. You've got this Russian oligarch played by Malkovich. And for a moment when he first appeared on screen, I was like, oh my God, Koppelman's put Teddy KGB in billions, but he's playing a different character. But the other character who for me just absolutely made this season is the new attorney general, Jock Jeffcoat. He is a terrifying character. Obviously, it's impossible to look at him and not see the uh, the prison guard from Shawshank Redemption. But man, oh man, like in every scene, he is just such an imposing character, even on the phone, right? Like even on the fucking telephone, he's terrifying. And he's always like cleaning a gun or like skinning a moose or some shit like that. And you know, like I said, I'm a uh, look. I didn't quite finish all of season three. I've been busy, really busy. And uh, Norm is a little bit like a kid. And I had to, I spent like 20 hours a day with him. So I didn't have much time to watch Billions. But I know that something horrible is going to happen with him because they wouldn't be. He's just this ominous. You know, he's like Blofeld in a way. So yeah. I'm sure that by the end of season three, that's going to all come to a head. Yes. And I think it's also very clear here that we are very much in the era of Trumpian politics now with this guy being appointed attorney general. So I have to be careful what I say if you haven't made it to the end of the season. Let's, I guess, focus more on what happens at the beginning, which is inevitably the sting that Chuck set up. His attempt to get Axe fails. And you know it's because at the last minute, Wendy decided to try and get in on the kind of ice juice short. And Chuck realizes that if he pushes ahead with the prosecution, she's going to get caught up in it. And in order to save Wendy, he kind of has to make the case against Axe disappear. I will say, so again, James, maybe you saw this coming, but there's always a moment in every season where I genuine, genuinely get got. And when Chuck does, in fact, hand the slide over to Axe, I was not expecting that. Um, and that was like a very cool moment. And I do see what's coming now. It appears as if we're going to see a team up of the ultimate warrior and Hulk Hogan by the end of this season. And I assume that's what's happening in season four. And I kind of, I'm not joking. I kind of have chills just thinking about it. Okay. There's two things I can hint at. One is that the dynamic between Axe and Taylor becomes really interesting. And that goes in a very interesting i can see that happening already when axe comes back and then he's like by the way sell everything we're starting over and she's been like busting her ass to keep everything afloat and actually has managed to make some good money in various places that is not going to sit well with with them and equally you're absolutely right the idea of chuck axe and wendy working together is very much setting up the direction that season four is going to go in so season four is now hitting our screens and normally i'm one of those people who likes to wait for a show to finish its run so that i can just binge it but billions is one of those shows where i do watch it week to week so i'm definitely going to watch the season opener in the next few days really excited to see where the show goes I'm equally excited, I'm really thrilled to say that we are joined this week on Poker in the Ears by the co-creator, showrunner, and executive producer of Billions, a guy who's also the co-writer of Rounders, widely regarded as the best poker movie ever made. He also wrote Ocean's 13 and Runner Runner. He hosts his own weekly podcast called The Moment. Uh, Please welcome to our podcast, Brian Koppelman. I'm so happy to be here. Stapes, man. 
the fact that you like launched a whole podcast to finally get to talk is impressive. <laughs> Like it's really not that far off. Like I don't want to be as conniving as uh, as Chucker acts, but I will say that I was planting seeds about this early on. The fact that you volunteered to come on, though, I did not see that coming. Just like an episode of Billions. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah. Well, I, listen. When you know the inevitable is about to hit you in the face, you might as well just say. Oh, <laughs> Brian, we're very much looking forward to season four. Over the last three episodes, we've done our deep dives into the first three seasons. Um, what is the deal with season four? Have you now wrapped? Last night, yeah. We, we wrapped at um, like real super late last night. Wow. Well, thank you for getting up early to do this because I imagine there was quite a party. Are you able to say at this stage if season four will be the last season or can we expect season five in 2020? Oh, yeah. I mean, no one intends this to be the last season. Oh, fantastic. Well, that's good, good news. It's not official until Showtime announces that it's official, but we're all, every one of us is all proceeding as though there's going to be um, a season five, at least, for sure. Now, when, uh, if and when the end of this show comes, obviously, uh, have you have you got an ending in mind? Because one of my favorite shows of all time was Deadwood, and... Uh, it, to me, the fact that that never came back was extra sad because the characters are still like hanging in limbo as far as I'm concerned. Do you have like a, a, a sort of thing planned so that way your characters don't end up the same way? Wait, you, you know that um, they are uh, they're making the movie now. Yes, yes. yes. No, but so but at get, the time, you will get you will get closure. And let me also say, uh, not just joking around, Staves, man, I love your presence online and I'm so happy to be here. And uh you know, I'm such a poker junkie. I'm I'm thrilled to talk about billions and um, also happy to talk about anything you guys want to discuss. I'll say that um, I think season four, you guys are, are people are you know are already reacting incredibly positively, which is unbelievably rewarding because of like how obsessive people are about the show. Dave and I feel this when you ask about season five or the eventual end of the show. Yes, we understand where the show is going. We have it plotted out. In, to a certain extent, uh, we feel there's tremendous pressure to really deliver for this audience because we know what it's like to really love a show and really feel like the show is speaking to you and you're engaged with these characters. And it's so important to us to never sort of betray essentially who these people are, the characters, so the audience never feels like they lose faith with them. And, and it's, um, it's an it's the most fun that we've ever had. It's the it's the greatest gig we've ever had. And getting to work with these actors is it's astonishing what they do with the stuff that we give them. We sometimes, you know, truly you're standing on set and can't believe that we have Giamatti and Lewis and Asia Kate Dillon and Maggie Siff and Costi bringing our words to life and, and this incredible alchemy that happens when you combine the the stuff that we're doing with the stuff that, that they're doing. But, you know, I remember if I can just put this in poker terms, uh, we do have a clear idea about where it's, where it's going. But Eric Seidel said something to me a long time ago. Um, we were in a poker casino somewhere, and I was grilling him a little bit about this. Was back in in the in the days where the prevailing wisdom was, you make a decision about what you think your opponent has if it's down to two of you, and you stick to your guns. You know that came out of like Doyle's book, and that was sort of like what everybody the way most people approached it. Once you made your read, you stuck with your read. And Eric said, uh, no, you, you have to always take in new information. Yes, you're confident about your read, but you fully have to stay present enough that if you realize your read is wrong, you have to change 
your opinion. And so as much as we do know where this thing is going, if as it's going, we realize we were trying to force something or, well, that's what we'd like it to be, but that's not really where the characters would go. We have to um, be willing to be open to letting all that speak to us, you know? So I don't think we'll really know what the end is until we're writing the final season. The question more came from the, from a place of love for us where we just want to make sure that uh, that Showtime's not going to pull the rug out from under you before we all get some kind of closure. Well, no, if, if yeah, I I mean it. We're all um, we're all grown ups, so we all understand that something like that could happen in the world. We're not. Nope, like, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> but <laughs> but it doesn't seem it, nothing. There's no signal or sign or read I could give you that says that this thing isn't continuing. All anybody says to us in that world is we would really love you to keep making the show. Brian, I'm interested to go back to the beginning because the real attorney for the Southern District of New York played a key part in the history of online poker in the US. And I'm wondering, is that just a coincidence or is there some Black Friday billions connection, some inspiration behind that? No, the... David and I had long been interested in the power that U.S. attorneys had really from the mafia cases, from the RICO cases. We were, you know, the when you really study the way the RICO cases were built, the powers of discretion that United States attorneys have is real. And, and I and they should I mean, on balance, I think they should have these powers of discretion. But the powers of discretion are really sort of unparalleled federal prosecutors and and let's assume the current administration is sort of an anomalous because of the president's vendettas and stuff like there's Nixon acted that way. And um, but but generally the each, you know, the Justice Department and then the United States attorneys themselves have a tremendous amount of discretion about what they want to prosecute, about what they want their priorities to be, about the way in which they build cases. And w- what we really start to think is these are like kings. They really are like kings. So. The the Black Friday um, online poker thing was sure another piece of of that, but but to us, the poker thing ties more into the, the puritanical American ideas about gambling, and then their refusal to accept that poker isn't gambling. And I think that that's cultural more than it's any specific office, right? That were there were cultural pressures coming from uh, the conservative wing of the Republican Party that were trying to. Uh, do this at that time. So for sort of like religious reasons, uh, if you really drill down, um, and then the pressures from uh, the pressures from, which is very billionsy, you, you, you use that rhetoric to justify doing the bidding of major brick and mortar casinos, and that gives you cover and then you can execute. But for me, that was much more politically motivated than it was like a U.S. attorney overstepping. I think you're so right about the uh, the puritanical sort of uh, nature is why we we lost online poker in America, which makes perfect sense. Why in billions it would be the game that your outlaws play, uh, you know that you don't you've got your, you know your acts and your all your outlaw financial people playing poker, and that was pretty cool. It, like obviously to have a poker episode, I think it was like a little a little taste of the rounder sequel that everybody wants. We got that there kind of like when Favreau and Vaughn made made, and it wasn't exactly the swinger sequel, but you got like a little, a little taste of those people back in action. So I, I really like the episode. Thanks. Yeah. Um, and also, but so we knew people would, would sort of connect 
um, the idea of rounders and Ingrid who dealt the final game and in Ingrid who dealt the final game in um, the poker tournament in the show was the real life sort of analog to Petra. Like Ingrid ran the Mayfair club in the way that Petra ran Chesterfields. And so um, we had Ingrid dealing. So it was a super Easter egg for people. She dealt this, she dealt the, the poker event in our show. And, you know, Pete Olson was our tech advisor on the poker. And Pete Olson obviously has written these incredible books about poker and is uh, was a lifelong sort of Mayfair Club member. And so getting to hang with Pete and he wrote the Stewie book. And so getting to hang with Pete and talk about that stuff was um, awesome during that time because we were buddies since the Mayfair days. One of the things that we've talked about over the last few weeks, Brian, is all of the character actors you brought in and the additional characters who've been added with every season, with Taylor and Larry becoming a major protagonists in season two, and Jock Jeffcoat uh, coming in in season three, and also the casting of John Malkovich. And yes. I'm wondering, did you consider for one second perhaps bringing the character of Teddy KGB into the Billions universe? No, I mean, listen, I definitely had Oreos in my pocket. Like, <laughs> like, like I did have Oreos on set a few different times. Um, but that we felt like that would be pushing it. Like, we did consider, well, what if we just have him, what if we just have me an Oreo for everybody at home? But this is the thing. That's, this goes back to what we were talking about. You know, the truth is that the fictional world of billions is its own thing. And it's something that people are as passionate about as we all are about rounders. And, so we have to honor the world of not to be super serious, but like we have to honor the world of that. So we can all have fun with it. When we came up with the idea of the Russian oligarch, you know, I texted Malkovich. Of course, I'm going to text Malkovich like who else are Dave and I going to bring in to play um, a Russian who's slightly <laughs> sure. larger than life? We're going to bring John in to do it. And then, you know, he does say certain words like he says the word satisfied. We gave him a couple words <laughs> for the real poker freaks like he does say that thing about proud or whatever in the first episode that he's in at the at the pool table like we do a couple little tiny things for just the real obsessive freaks out there but we can't really break the billions world by trying to make um by trying to like reference our past work in that way it 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 feels cheap to us and it and it and it feels like it, it breaks the real compact that our audience has with this show. That said, I mean, we did bring Malkovich in to play a Russian. <laughs> the reference is there. Um, obviously, Rounders has its fan base. And as you said, you've got a few Easter eggs in there just to appeal to that fan base. But on a scale of one to bored as fuck, how bored are you of people asking, when is Rounders 2 coming out? You know, it's not even fucking boredom, man. What it is, is... Um, I can't do anything about it. So it's, it's, I, you know, I mean, we literally have like Matt, Edward, John, uh, all of us want to go and figure out how to make a second movie. We think it would be like just hilarious to all get together again. David and I know the kind of story we would tell. We've told that story to um, Matt and Edward and John Dahl. Everybody's totally on board. The rights are owned by, like, I think the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Qatar, who own all the library of stuff that came out of Miramax. And it's just been really challenging to figure out how to put it in motion, how to get everybody to get paid and do the movie. So it's not that we wouldn't like to do it. Plus, 
billions takes up a lot of our time. But of it's course. not that we wouldn't like to do it. We've tried to do it. There were times when it was super close to getting done. I mean, you guys heard Matt talk about it on Bill Simmons. He wants to, everybody wants to do it. So when the audience, when people are asking me, it's like, I'd rather just answer it in a flip way because, you know, what am I going to do? A 14 uh, tweets, long tweet, you know, 14 tweet, tweet storm about every, it every time, time you get asked as well. Yeah. So, uh, no, listen. And, and then, you know, I also think the place that the movie has in people's hearts is so nice that we don't want to do it unless we can really do it right. So we need a budget for the movie. Everybody needs to feel good about it. And, and um, I hold out hope, right? I mean, Color of Money did come out like 30 years after The Hustler. So yeah. I, I do hold out hope that someday we'll get it done. But uh, and and of course, you know, the moment we started working on it, everyone would know we would announce it. Uh, so the, the questions are fine. Yeah, I guess I, I don't know how you feel, Joe. I'm kind of torn. I'm literally 50-50. Half of me really wants to see what those characters are doing 20 years later, and part of me wants to leave it alone. Rounders was just such a great moment that I almost like, I don't, I don't need to know. I don't want to know. I want to imagine it rather than actually see it. I'm kind of fine also with whatever these guys decide to do. Like, it, I think it's it's such a perfect poker movie that I don't think it... it it needs a sequel, but I would happily go see one. I think if Brian really wants to get it done, what he should do is combine sequels. So it'd be like Rounders 2, Born 7, um, sure. and just you know make it a sequel for, for, for all parties involved. What, what I really love, and I know, Stapes, you love it too. I really love, and I mean it, like I love when GTO people now evaluate, oh my God. Uh, uh, go back into the Rounders' hands and talk about it as though the games are being played now and as though like um, Mikey McDee should have been making decisions b based on Ed Miller's book, which didn't come out for 20 years <laughs> after uh, the movie was over. Uh, that cracks me up, uh, this sort of way that people want to look at it. It would literally be like going back to a, a chainmail and sword fight in Roman times and going like, how come no one took out an AK? Yeah, it's like I was, I was like, why didn't why didn't they just text each other under the table? You're like, it didn't exist then. <laughs> yeah, they're like, when the when the Roman Empire was crumbling, why didn't they just drop the bomb? I don't understand. And so it's like, I love it. And I for me, I get a huge kick out of it because you know I'm a poker nerd too, and I uh, I love thinking about all that stuff now. But of course, the 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 game was just in a completely different place then. I have a couple of rounders related questions. If the movie were being made now in the era of GTO, obviously it'd be very different. Who would be the player that Matt Damon would win the hand against in place of Johnny Chan? Who is the modern day equivalent? Or is Chan still the man? Oh, that's a great... That's a great question. Who would he win the hand against now? I, whatever the real answer is, it's so much more boring compared to anyone from that era. Like I still. <laughs> well, because of the, I mean, I was gonna say, what are you gonna say, Tom Marchese or whatever? Like I, I just think, um, I just think that yes, you're right. Like back then, we were so steeped in the lore of who these people were, and the they were larger than life because they all came up playing. This is a fun thing to talk about, right? When you think about the generation of people, uh, Doyle and Sailor Roberts and uh, that whole crew of people, you know, T.J. Cloutier 
and Chan and these people who came up literally, you know, playing in back rooms and with having to carry weapons in because you never knew when you were going to get robbed. You never knew when you were going to get cheated. You never knew when you were going to get caught cheating somebody else. These guys were playing out of the same bankroll sometimes. Sometimes they were um, opposed to each other. Then you had the legend of like Chip Reese coming out to Vegas as this, you know, college genius and never leaving and Bobby Baldwin and you, those people, and they all wrote books and the books were not about the technical way in which they played. The books were about the lives they lived that allowed them to become sharp, right? Not marks. And so you would read these books. We would, you would watch these interviews. And then there were the young kids who came up, Huck and Phil. And at the time, I know what everyone thinks of Phil now, but remember at the time, Phil was so young and he and Huck were these tall, sort of cool seeming guys who took, were the next generation. They were like Terminator 2 versions from the Terminator 1 versions of the Texas Gamblers. And, the, you know, so in our heads, it was what if you had Huck against the Doyle's generation, right? That was what we were thinking about when we were making that movie. The people now are people who are making the choice as we've seen them actually do it, Right. I mean, Phil Galfund's actually making the choice between playing poker or working at a hedge fund. It's a completely different life outlook. It's a completely different pool from which most of these people are coming. And so who do you guys think are like the larger than life figures that that he would defeat? Who's from slightly the generation before, but still um, a badass who would inspire you, right? A lot of the young players now were inspired by Dwan, right? They, if you think about it, they were That was the name by... that was coming to mind for me, was Dwan yeah, was like sure. the only guy I can think of that still has Dwan, that mystique Dwan about is the one, but Dwan, So Dwan's the generation ahead of now the young, like the young card sharp. But because Dwan's been living in, he, Macau, right? Is that where he yeah. lives in place? So he's not really on television. He's not on on streaming playing poker every, every, um, every day we don't really see him and he's not mythologized like the myth is quite different than the myth of chan the the myth of duan is closer is a guy who kind of went away and the question did it pass him by did it not is he taking money off a businessman and still making millions you know what happened when he didn't pay you know did he end up paying that bet did he not so there are these kind of questions about about him though for me he is a fascinating figure, and and he originally, I think we thought about Rounders 2 10 years ago. I, I definitely, Dave and I both thought a lot about Tom Dwan and about him being um, the sort of, you know, next model of, of poker player. But, but don't you guys think the players that followed Dwan are less interested, it seems to me, in being colorful, are less interested in being characters. The great thing about Tom and about Phil Locke and Antonio is they were real characters and they were willing to present themselves as characters um, where it feels to me that that's not really the case so much anymore um, on the day to day thing. Part of why Marley Cordero is getting so much attention for the YouTube stuff, because um, even though her poker, she hasn't yet proven to be world class poker player, though she's a good poker player. Like, I do think the way she's created this character on YouTube is the, part of it obviously is what she looks like, but part of it is also how smartly she presents this character she's created. The poker world's kind of hungry for characters like that. 
Yeah, I think there's definitely like a, a space in the market for more characters coming. I was actually just with Marley last night, um, and what I do like about Marley is she likes to throw down a few drinks, and she had to excuse herself eventually because of that reason. Um, but I think that's also what makes her. By like, the way, so we, genuine. Uh, let me just say, let me just say, weird flex, dude. Yeah, thank you. No, I had to get that out there. Appreciate it. <laughs> Welcome um, to this podcast, I don't know Brian. If it's a humble brag or a weird flex or something in the middle. It's something. It's something like that. It wasn't quite a humble brag. It was a very obvious brag. <laughs> the other question, he says, trying to do a hard segue and uh, get the conversation back on track. Uh, the other roundest related question, Brian, is: Do you feel the movie deserves more recognition? for its contribution to the poker boom. Everyone talks about Moneymaker. Everyone talks about the birth of online poker, but Rounders was around the same time. So I think that Rounders gave people the language, right? I think you can look at these four factors probably. It, Rounders, Moneymaker, the, hold car, the whole card cam. Like those three things are somehow related. Like Rounders gave everybody the language then the whole card cam let everybody inside the game to understand how to play it. And then Chris made everybody think they could do it. And so I think there is a progression that all three things sort of did together. And But I don't – I, I can't be upset about any aspect of where that movie is in the culture. It changed my life completely. It was an obsession that David and I had, and it came to fruition, and it – Every day of my life, somebody thanks me for that movie. I mean, every single day of my life, somebody thanks me for the movie. And when I walk into a poker casino, if people know my connection to the film, same with Dave, you know, uh, that people are incredibly kind to me. It gave me access into the world of poker, which is something I really wanted because I love the game so much. And it kind of brought me a key to the city, you know, the equivalent of the key to the city in any card room I walk into anywhere in the world. So I, I can't want anything more out of it in a way. Of course, at the time, I wanted it to be a huge hit movie and all that stuff. And the fact that it wasn't was kind of a crushing blow. But over time, its place in the cultural firmament and in the world of poker has been so clearly established that I almost wouldn't I almost wouldn't change even its reception because that's probably part of why it lives in the way it does for those of us who care about it that much. I had a Rounders poster in my bedroom in high school. Um, I, I worked in a grocery store where there was like a little video kiosk and I made sure to to get that one. For me, Rounders was the poker boom. I found the whole money maker thing to be a little on the nose like right. with his name and everything. And I, I didn't care about that at all, but uh, Rounders like made poker look so cool and so fun. And you guys uh, explained the game in such a way that I'd never even heard of poker before. So I think most people I talk to, when you say like, what'd you get your start in poker? At least from my age, it's either Moneymaker or Rounders. And I do think things are weighted toward Moneymaker, but but Rounders is like that, is that, that number two answer on the family feud board every time. But the other piece, which I know you know, is Moneymaker started playing poker because of Rounders. Right. There you go. He went on Letterman right after and said, I play. I started playing because I saw this movie Rounders. And and um, he's told me too. So, I mean, I, I know that that's the truth. So in a way, it's all connected. And again, the, the relationships I've gotten to have with poker players, all the poker players I care about, that I could walk in and say to almost any top player, can I sweat you and watch you play your hand? And most of them will be like, yeah, come on, let's do it. 
for me, I, the acknowledgement of all that stuff is completely is completely there, and I and it sort of got me and David's status, it, honorary, you know, status as part of the poker world um, forever. And so I, that makes me so happy because you have to understand, like, for me, guys, people who are brilliant card players, I hold in such high esteem. I was always a good poker player. I'm a winning poker player over my life in Hold'em, but I'm not a world-class poker player. And uh, to I admire and I'm kind of in awe of people who are truly sick card players. And so to be able to talk to them and ask them questions, um, to have a bunch of them on my speed dial who I can literally, you know, I could be like, hey, I have a game coming up. Here's the situation. What do I you do? You can call me anytime you want, Brian. No problem. You know, I'm talking about <laughs> world-class players. Um, and <laughs> so the idea, no, you know, all that stuff, like, um, for me is is great and is the gravy of this thing. Do you get to play much these days at all? I have a weekly game, but I can't. There's a weekly game that I love playing in. It's a New York City game that's gone on for a long time. Um, but I can't go. When we're shooting billions, it's really hard to go. Some days it's on Saturday afternoons, then I can go. Sunday night is when it usually is, and it's it's hard when we're shooting billions. I mean, not rounders. When we're shooting billions, it's hard. Um, but, uh, I, yeah, I play. I mean, I'm, I definitely play 30 times a year. Sometimes I play more than that. That's great. We asked uh, the audience, Brian, if they had any questions for you, and 90% of them were related to rounders too, and I think we've covered that in great detail. There was Thomas who wanted us to ask you about the scoop schedule, but I kind of feel he's got you confused with someone else. <laughs> that was hilarious. I love the answer to that you guys gave. Which is like, I'm not sure he's the perfect person. Um, Nathan asked a good question, though, which is uh, in TV, in cinema these days, how much do producers drive content? How much... How much leeway do the writers have and how much control do the producers have over the direction of a series or a film? Well, let's let's straighten out our terms because in a in television the showrunner is the writer and is also uh the producer, right? So David and I run the show. So we have almost total freedom within the budget. So the network and you talk about the budget before the season. You understand what your budget is. You understand how you're going to do that. We tell the network what each episode is going to be about. We show them an outline. but once, And then we show them the script. But then it's really up to David and me to make the show. And uh, there are, I'm sure, various examples of this. Like Dick Wolf, who creates, obviously, all the Law & Order shows, has a huge hand in most of his shows. But like Derek Hass, who runs the Chicago Fire shows for him, Derek's making those shows. He created them with Dick, and he's making those shows. It, it's not really, as, as everything is, you're always managing relationships, so we're, we're, you're always figuring out how to maximize what you can do, but we have pretty much total freedom to make the show that we want to make. I guess it's a poker answer. It's situational. It depends on it the is. project. Um, it is. It, and it is. Ed's question, which made me laugh, why is every character in Billions a sociopath? That's funny. I mean, uh, I would say I'm not sure that they are, but I would also say look around the world. Yeah. At the people. <laughs> power. Uh, we were discussing last week how Wags is someone who I absolutely love and absolutely hate in equal measure. I think uh, I'd love funny. to hate him, if that makes sense. Sure. 
Is it cool to write a character like Wags because, uh, you know, you can really be a total douche, which, you know, we're trying to be like a, a, a kinder, gentler human being these days. And Wags gets to say a lot of the things that we're kind of not really supposed to say anymore. Does that make it more fun? Well, between Wags and Chuck Sr., those two characters would just say absolutely anything, the most horrible shit. Um, yeah, it's great to write for those people because you can find we can really find um, examples of those kind of people in in real life. Like there are people who say and do that kind of crazy shit. So we love um, we love doing that, uh, of course. And we have these actors. I mean, again, I got to go back to you got David Costable and Jeffrey DeMunn playing those parts. They can sell that stuff in a way that you find it like totally disgusting that they'd say it, but you want to keep watching them. And sometimes <laughs> yes. you might find yourself rooting for them. Yeah, and that's definitely a credit to your actors. I guess we got uh, maybe time for one more question. Um, the the show, one of the things that you're famous for and also that I love most about the show are the, all the references you drop. Oh, yeah. How often... It's a movie the, lover's dream, this TV show. Yeah, it's just, it's just total. It's character actor porn and it's movie reference porn. How often do the actors not get the references and whose job is it to explain it to them? <laughs> That's funny. No, these actors do their research, so I won't know if they don't. They come prepared. By the time of the table read, if anyone has a question, they'll just send us a note. But but generally, they're going to come prepared. Also, they're very literate. This 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 cast is incredibly high IQ, incredibly culturally um, astute, and so they're pretty much going to know the references. Also, as you get going writing something like this over the long haul. You pretty much understand who these actors are, and so some you will you'll be able to give a reference to Giamatti, like a Churchill reference to Giamatti. He knows everything about history, so he'll get that and find it funny. You can sort of sometimes tailor it in a way where you know they'll react um, a certain way to it, um, but mostly they just love it. Look, it's a fun game. It's a fun. You know, we didn't intend it to be a thing that people would focus on that much, but we love the way that people focus on it. I mean, it's so fun to watch the show on Twitter with people because I get to see the way those references land, and I fucking love it. I love when people get it. Sometimes even just one person will note something that we've hidden in there. Like we referenced Quato, the little weird Total Recall uh, from Total Recall. You know, Axe says that, Wags looks like Quato and like a couple people got that so hard and and then tied it into the fact that we referenced Starship Troopers earlier in the episode two Verhoeven movies and so like when people sort of can get inside our minds that way and vibe with it it really does make us happy that obviously is a is a big part of what I like to do too and my poker stuff is dropping references so uh, it, it's it's like yeah I, look it's like a little ding it's a little like a shot of serotonin every time I hear one of them Brian uh, we really appreciate you coming on the show with us uh, it's people I was telling a couple of folks last night that I had to get up early to interview and they oh, really? were Who so jealous. Who were you with last night, Joe? Uh, I was with Marley Cordero and, and, and Christy Arnett. And, uh, <laughs> oh, what's that noise? Wondering. Oh, it's names being I, dropped. I was just wondering. Uh, oh, also, I forgot to drop this. Michael Stoyanoff from your show. He was at my 21st birthday a while <laughs> He's ago. Great. He's a great guy, that guy. 
He's awesome. So sorry, you were with people last night, and anyway, they're all very jealous. I was going to get to interview. I'll be dropping your name to them later today. Thank you for your time. This has been great. And also, by the way, sorry, one last thing. It's not a question. Uh, I had a long road trip a couple of uh, months ago, and I downloaded a bunch of podcasts to try them out. And Brian's was by far the best one. It's called The Moment. You guys should listen to it. I found a lot of the podcasts to be absolute blowhards, just like people listening, like loving the smell of their own farts. And Brian's is is genuinely thoughtful. And uh, and much like what I've uh, come to to see from you on social media is that you're, you're just kind of trying to put good out there in the world. And I really appreciate that. Uh, thanks. What a pleasure to talk to you guys. And um, uh, thanks for having me on. And thanks for all the support. Stapes, I'll see you out there. Thanks, guys. One of them loves the EPT, knows it inside out, and would do anything for the European Poker Tour. The other one is Joe Stapleton. It's Superfan versus Stapes. So let's introduce our billions superfan on poker in the ears. Please welcome to the podcast, Sumrit from Toronto. Greetings. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Sumrit, what's up? You're so grateful. What a nice Canadian boy. <laughs> yeah. Sumrit, you said in your application that you have been a longtime listener of this podcast, but also that you have watched billions, and I'm quoting here, several times? Uh, I think I've seen the whole thing twice. And most recently, I watched it a couple months ago, but I know Joe just rec- uh, recently saw it, so I'm not sure uh, if I'll beat him, but I think I have a good chance. Samrit, I think you have a pretty good chance because I haven't exactly finished season three yet. I've been a little busy. And also, did you uh, watch the premiere already of season four? Uh, yeah, I have. I saw it on uh, Sunday. It was uh, pretty good, I think. Oh. Everyone's really into it, yeah. It hasn't even aired in the UK yet. I think it's tonight that the season opener is on TV, so no spoilers. Sadly, Joe, I fear you may be exposed to some season three spoilers during the course of this quiz that I have compiled myself. I'm not going to lie, it's tough, and it's tough for two reasons. One, because, Joe, you've just seen it, and Samrit, you said you've seen it several times. And two... I said we were going to raise the stakes. I said we were going to have a special prize, and I've managed to secure a 320-euro satellite ticket for EBT Monte Carlo. Samrit, normally the satellite tickets we offer are feeders. They're satellites into satellites. This is a direct. There is an EPT package in the prize pool of this particular MTT. So it's definitely a prize worth playing for. At the very least, I'm going to make sure you get some good PokerStars merch. But before we launch into the quiz, before we talk any more billions, we need to know about you. Tell us your deal. Um, so I work as a financial analyst at a bank here. Ha! (laughs) Yeah. Now we understand why you're such a big fan of billions, because that's what you deal with. Billions. Uh, yeah, sort of. It's, like, different. It's, uh, I mostly do, like, financial reporting and, like, looking at expenses, expenses and stuff like that. So not too like the show, but, uh, hopefully one day. So if I turn in a receipt for, like, uh, you know something from my hotel you'll be able to tell that I, I i shouldn't have spent that money uh uh it's uh no uh accounting stuff more like high level like like big picture expenses oh high level i'm not high level enough <laughs> yeah <laughs> so here is the deal with the quiz there are 12 questions split over two separate rounds The first round does not have multiple choice. The second round does. There are also bonus questions. And a reminder, 
that as part of prize pool madness on PokerStars, for every main question that Joe gets right of the six questions that I directed to him, $200 will go into the prize pool madness free roll prize pool up to a maximum of $1,200. No pressure, Joe. No pressure. Man, I wish that it was how many questions I got wrong. So round number one is called special guest star. And the questions are based around the special guest stars in the show. It, it does what it says on the tin. So, Samrit, there are six yeah. questions, and you can go anywhere on the board. You can have one, you can have two, you can have three, you can have four, you can have five, you can have six. So please give me a number between one and six. Uh, one. Okay, remember, there are no multiple choice options here. Question one, which actor first appeared in season three as the newly appointed Attorney General Waylon Jock Jeffcoat? Um... Uh... I have no idea what his name is. Joe, you like can steal. Name. I don't know what his name is. Do I get the $200 taken uh, no, for the prize? No, uh, because it's not your question, it. but you can steal for points in the Master Quiz. Clancy Brown. It is Clancy Brown for one point. Now, you can still have the bonus question, Samrit. Clancy played the Kurgan in which 80s fantasy movie? <laughs> uh, I have no idea what Kurgan is. Joe, you can steal for a point. Well, I hate to call out some reed for this, but uh, a super fan might have known that that was Highlander. It was Highlander for a point. And Joe, you can pick a question. Two, three, four, five, or six. Question number two. For one point, Joe, and for $200 in the prize pool, which actor first appeared in season two as Spartan Ives CEO Lawrence Boyd? Eric Bogosian. For one point and $200. Yes. Your bonus question. Eric plays Senator Gil Evis in which other drama series about rich, unlikable people? Succession. Correct. For a bonus point, Samrit, you're down 4 nothing. We need to claw back some points here. Three, four, five, or six? Uh, three. Which actor first appeared in season one as hedge fund manager Stephen Birch? Uh, Jerry O'Connell. Jerry O'Connell, correct, for a point. And your bonus question, Jerry played first-round draft pick Frank Cush Cushman in which feel-good 90s movie? Um, and I'm going to give you a clue. Show me the money. Oh, um... What was that called again? The Tom Cruise movie. Um, the Tom Cruise movie, correct for one point. Jerry Maguire <laughs> was the name Maguire, yeah. of that film. Joe, four, five, or six? Question four, please. Which actor first appeared in season two as the kingmaker, Black Jack Foley? David Strathairn for $200. Correct, and one point, crucially. And there is a bonus question attached. Jack Foley is the name of the lead character in which Steven Soderbergh film? Oh, that's my favorite movie of all time. It's a, it's a, it's a delightful picture called Out of Sight. You're running well with your question selections today. That's for sure. Uh, five or six, Samrit. Uh, five. Which actor first appeared in season one as Judge Wit Wilcox? Um, Anthony Edwards. Correct for one point. And your bonus question: Anthony famously played Goose in Top Gun. Why won't he be returning for the sequel? Uh, did he die? He did die, yes. <laughs> for a point. Just to be clear, Anthony Edwards, still alive and well. Goose, dead. 
Joe, question six. Oh my six. god, they should have brought him back for the sequel anyway, like they did with uh, with Dr. Ian Malcolm in the, uh, in the Lost World. Ian Malcolm didn't die in Jurassic Park. He dies in the book, and then they bring him back for the book sequel. Oh, I didn't know that. Never read the books. Yeah. Which actor first appeared in season three as Russian oil baron Grigor Andalov? James, read a book. <laughs> John Malkovich. Correct for one point and another $200 in the prize pool. And your bonus question, Joe, which doesn't carry any extra money. Malkovich recently appeared as a grumpy drunk in which mediocre Netflix movie? Ooh. Ah. Uh, mm, they're all mediocre. Oh, wait. I remember now. Bird Box. <laughs> Correct for a point. So at the end of the first round... Joe is outscoring Sumreet by a two-to-one margin. Eight points to Joe Stapleton, four points to Sumreet. But this, my dear superfan, is where you turn things around. Uh, we get to the general trivia round, and the first two questions are about season one. You can have odd or even, seven or eight. Um, even. Okay, let's go with question eight. In season one, how much money does Axe transfer into Wendy's account right before she quits? Multiple choice options available. Um, I'm just going to guess. Uh, I'm going to say $3 million. You should have taken the options. It was $5 million. But there is a bonus question attached. What type of car did Axe give to Wendy? Uh, Maserati. Correct for a point. So you're up to five. Joe, your question, therefore, is question number seven. In season one, which building does Axe want to rename? Multiple choice options are available. I'm going to need the options. Okay, so just to be clear, this is only worth one point, but it's still worth $200. Was it Ernest Proof Rock House, Ellis Ede Symphony Hall, Bernard Sumner Concert Arena, or the Henry Horton Theatre? I think it's Ellis Ede's. It is for one point. And the bonus and $200 question, straight out of the PokerStars coffers. That's true. In fact, I think so far you have got your... your running the board when it comes to the money into the prize pool. Yes, Samreen, I'm sorry. I'd really like for you to win this, but I also really want to cost the company as much money as possible. <laughs> That's okay. Your bonus question, Joe. How much money does Bobby eventually offer the Eads family as compensation for having their name removed from the building? It's 25 minus 16, I think, for $9 million. Oh now, my god, he's nailed it. $9 million. <laughs> And you did the fact that you did the equation, that it was 25 minus 16, you don't get a bonus point for that, but I have to give you the one point for remembering that specific detail. Uh, so we move on to season two. Same choice as last time, Samri. Odd or even? Question nine or question ten? I'll take nine. What is, the what is the name of the season two episode featuring the Alpha Cup poker tournament? Multiple choice options are available. Uh, optimum play. Optimal play, correct, for two points. And your bonus question. Axe is knocked out of the game by a set of threes. What was he holding? Uh, Ace-King suited. Correct. For two pair aces and kings. So now only two points separate you and Joe Stapleton. Let's see if Joe can score points from question 10. What is the name of Chuck's friend who is heavily invested in the Ice Juice IPO? First name and last name? Just the first name. Ari. No! I oh, Joe! Wrong. You got it wrong, and you have cost the prize pool $200. It was Ira, but... Ira, I know. But, Joe, you do get the bonus question. Ice Juice, P 
peaks at more than $30 a share. What does it close at to the nearest dollar? $9. No, it closed <laughs> at $4. Actually, $3.89 if you want to be specific. So, here's the deal. We're heading into the final round. The score is 10 points to Joe, 8 points to Samrit. You can take question 11 or question 12, Samrit, both of which relate to season 3. I would suggest taking question 11. Okay, I'll take that one. Mainly because I don't think Joe has even seen the episode that question 12 relates to. In season 3, where exactly did the feds find the slide in Dr. Gilbert's home? Uh, the ketchup bottle. And where was the ketchup bottle stored? Uh, it was in like the fridge door, yes, right? Yes, correct. The ketchup bottle in the fridge is correct. I did see that one. Four I two points. That one. And my girlfriend was like, why did he say the ketchup bottle out loud? I was like, they're going to find it anyway. <laughs> The bonus question, how much money was transferred into the doctor's account? Oh, there's no choices, right? No choices with the bonus questions. Okay. Um, this one goes to... I'm just going to guess. Uh, was it $7 million? It was not. So Joe tried to give you a clue there. A Spinal Tap reference. $11 million was the amount. We have a tied game going into the final round. And Joe, if you get this question right... Even if you have to take the multiple choice options, A, you win the game, and B, you lock up another $200 in the prize pool madness free roll prize pool. Oh, what do I do? Okay. In season three, how much does Taylor ask for as a bonus? It's $13 million, right? It is not $13 million. No, it was $50 million, but there is a bonus question here, Joe. What is the name of Taylor's new business? I didn't get that far. Uh, they're the best. No, it's Taylor Mason Capital. So at the end of the quiz, <laughs> the first thing to say is that Joe got four questions correct. So that means we are going to be adding $800 to the prize pool madness free roll prize pool on Sunday the 31st of March. The second thing to say is that we're going to the tiebreaker. And this is one of those tiebreakers where I'm going to need a verbal answer from Samrit and a written answer from Joe. So Joe, on Skype, please message me privately. Do not use this chat window. Yeah. The question is, what is the current score of billions on IMDb? So oh. you think about that, Samrit. Don't say anything yet. Joe, type me your answer. Okay. And I do need it to the nearest decimal point, obviously. Right, I'm going to do a decimal point. And this is just a poker in the ears. Okay, yeah. got okay. it. I have Joe's answer. Samrit, what do you think is the current score? Uh, I think it's 8.4. Is it? Joe has gone for 8.8. .8. Samrit has gone for 8.4. And Samrit is not only closer. Samrit has nailed it. It is 8.4, which means by winning Ugh. the tiebreaker, you do win this round of Superfan versus Stapes, which went down to the wire and that Holy. 320 euro EPT Monte Carlo satellite ticket is yours. Nice. Uh, thanks a lot, guys. Really appreciate it. Like uh, like an, like an a season of billions, right? Like right <laughs> down to the wire. Yeah. Ups and downs, back and forth. You never knew who was going to win. When people seemingly had it locked up, they snatched victory 
from the, no, they snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. <laughs> and Joe, I know your ambition here was to cost the company money. $800 in the prize pool plus a 320 satellite ticket. Good job. Yeah, almost. I mean, that's as good as I could have done, really. <laughs> <laughs> Samreet, thank you so much for coming on the show and congrats once again. Yeah, thanks again for having me on. All right, my babies, we are just about out of time for this week's show. And what a show it was. I'm still coming down from that Brian Koppelman interview. Uh, fingers crossed I'm going to try to get him to come to my stand-up show this weekend. He said he might, but I, I didn't want to corner him on the air. Uh, coming up next time, it's Saatchi, my babies. We've got uh, four whole days yeah, of live streaming from Saatchi coming up. And uh, after that, I'm going to be in Estonia, so we'll have some stories from there next time on the show, which will be Thursday, the 4th of April. Who knows what's going to go on in between now and then? Uh, maybe I'll be dead, given the <laughs> schedule I've been keeping up. Uh, who knows? Phoenix, L.A., San Jose, New York, Saatchi, Estonia. We have no idea. We'll maybe get a little bit deeper into some of the hands I played at Bay 101. Hey, maybe I'll have won half a million dollars and I'll retire from all of this we don't know what's going to happen in the meantime subscribe like and comment on the show because even if i win the top prize of 400k in bay 101 i'll only be getting a quarter of that uh because i sold uh 99 of my actions so uh i will be back here do not worry my babies i'll be back again uh please if you have ideas for guests and or super fan applications holler at us using the hashtag poker in the ears i think we have one more super fan booked it's the guy we had to push back from when we uh had to cancel an episode because i was sick so we are looking for new applications hashtag poker in the ears and look forward to hearing from many of you watching the live stream, whether that's on PokerStars TV, on Twitch, on YouTube. Look forward to your company over those four days from Russia. All right, guys. So until then, for James Hardigan, I am Joe Stapleton. Smell you later. Smell you later.